I want to join in the sentiment of the song that they just sang. Join in Cass's remarks during the song saying to all the mothers who are here, mothers, mothers, mother figures, that we see you. We know the work you do. We know the work you do that goes unnoticed. We know the work you do that goes unappreciated. Not just the big things, but the little things that you do every day for your children. We, we see you and the older we get, we can appreciate you even more. Nothing for me has focused me on the benefit of my mama. Nothing has focused me more than not having my mama. It is, I can say without a doubt, she is the single most significant influence in my life. Without any doubt. And it's not what she was able to give in a material sense. Not all the things she was able to do while she was living with us. But it's the example that she set. The influence she left in my life continues to reverberate each and every day. And if I'm honest, I live my life daily with the expectation that the things that I do, she would be proud of. That's a weight that goes unseen, but it's felt. And so I want to thank Doris for being who she was. And I'm grateful today that she blessed me and Sham and Dewan. And even other people who didn't call her their biological mom blessed by her. And I see other women out here like that. I see you. I see you doing for other folks' children. I see you going without so your children can have. Yeah, I see that. I see the education you wanted that you didn't get that they have. I see that. We assume that every option was available to everybody all the time. There's a whole lot of mamas out here who had to take option C so their children could have option A in their personal lives. And they were satisfied with that. And that's what that song means. For your faithfulness. For your faithfulness. We still are confused in this day and time. We still tell folk that you can have everything. You can't. Nobody 
can't have everything. Somebody's got to sacrifice somewhere for you to have the things that you want. And we do our children a disservice when we make them think that anything in life, everything in life, you can have if you want it. Somebody's sacrificing for that to be the case. And I've seen too, too many mamas do it. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to get into the message. The single most significant time in my life came when I was in 1981. I graduated from Western High School and I entered college un, underprepared. Say that. Underprepared, not unprepared. It was underprepared financially. So, from my definition, I ended up at UAB going to school. And my mama watched me come in. I was working at Bennigan. And my mama watched me come in, I'm sure day after day, doing what I needed to do at UAB to move forward. But she could tell that the light wasn't on in my eyes. I was going through the motions. And I don't know the day between the start of the semester in August and the end of the semester there in late November, December, early December. But sometime in December, without ever having had a conversation with me, she came to me and said, um, we're going to Tuskegee tomorrow. She initiated it. She had already told her sister, who was a teacher, that she needed her to ride with us. And the next day, the next day we got in the car and we drove to Tuskegee. And I was registered, I was admitted and registered and had a dorm before we left campus that day. All because of my mom. What a difference Tuskegee made in my life. I found Andre. At Tuskegee, I found myself. I developed into Andre, I wasn't no slack before the end. I can tell you that. And I got a witness in here. Melinda was at West End with me. It wasn't like I was in trouble all the time or anything like that. I was a good student. I was a leader. But I reached a place in life when only a mama can tell. I could have finished UAB and would have finished UAB. It wouldn't have been no problem. But Tuskegee opened up pathways that have been significant. I found me. I found that education. I found her. 
in Tuskegee. She wasn't at UAB. <laughs> wasn't nobody at UAB like you, baby. <laughs> and what a difference that's made in our lives. All because my mama was paying attention. And I didn't know, I never really talked to my mama about that. And I remember when I graduated, the day I graduated from Tuskegee, 1985, um, mama came, she was excited, and she, after the graduation ceremony, me messing around, jumping around with the fraternity brothers, she said, all right, you ready? And I said, ready for what? <laughs> she said, ready to go. <laughs> And she, because she came to Tuskegee with the full expectation that I was finished at Tuskegee and I'm coming back to Birmingham. And what I don't think she realized until we had that conversation in that moment that that time had passed. That, 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 that I wasn't the same Donnell that she brought up four years before or to Tuskegee, that I was different. And instead of making a scene or anything like that, I mean, because I think Karen was near at that point, so she knew she'd already met Karen, and all that was in place. When I said, no, nah, I'm staying here, I'm staying here, and I'm going to work this summer here in Tuskegee. And I went away to work in Tuskegee with the dog track. <laughs> I won't even tell you about that lifestyle, but... But she realized that it had changed. And she just said, all right, all right. You got what you need. Ain't that what mama say? And I said, mama, I'm all right. I'm going to be all right. I ain't have a pen in my pocket. <laughs> Graduated. Got, I had a degree in my pocket and no money. And she said, all right. And we hugged. And that was it. She left. She left me to be come, to become Donnell. That's what mamas do. She didn't put her fears on me. As I've unfortunately done with my kids sometimes, she was a mama. And I thank God that I married a woman like that, who has done the same thing for our children that my mama did for us. I thank God for her sacrifice for our children. And so in scripture today, there is a woman who goes unnoticed and unappreciated. She is not the typical story that is talked about on Mother's Day. The story of this woman and she's only talked about in this passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to read in your hearing a couple of verses that I think encapsulate, encapsulates who she is uh, in Scripture and why she's here. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, reads, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me 
what I ask of him. Verse 28 reads, so give, so now I give him to you, Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. What a prayer for a woman. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This woman's name is Hannah. Hannah. Hannah was the second wife of a man named Elkanah. And Hannah was the wife who he loved. But she didn't fit the mold of a typical woman of that time because she was barren. See, at that time, a blessed family was considered a family that had many children. And so for a man to be considered honored and the Lord to be showing favor on his house, that meant that um, he had, he had a, a, his quiver was full. His house was full. He had children everywhere. And, and even though he legitimately, honestly loved Hannah, she could not provide for him that which would, as they thought, bring God's blessing down on the household. His first wife, Penina, could. And she had many children. For him. But even though she was the first wife, she was one of them immature types, you know, who didn't know how to take up blessings graciously. She didn't have the kind of heart and spirit to be supportive of Hannah. And in fact, scripture says she mocked her, told her she wasn't anything. But what she really was was jealous. Because even though, if you will, she was the baby-making machine, she wasn't the favorite. She knew Elkanah had, Elkanah had to reverence her because she was giving him the babies, but he didn't love her like he did Hannah. And in fact, the more Hannah struggled with having babies, the more endearing she was to Elkanah because he, he sympathized, he hurt for her. And this went on for year after year after year. You can't imagine how tough it was for Hannah. Every year, she prayed that the Lord would bless her. She'd go to the temple, and she would pray. One time, one time, Shelby, she was praying so hard in the temple that Eli, the priest, came and saw her praying. And he chastised her because her prayer was so authentic. Her prayer was so fervent that he thought she was drunk. And he told the attendants to take her out. And the Lord came in that space. The Holy Spirit came in that space and arrested the situation such that she had clarity of mind. 
so she could say, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just full of God's blessing. And he stopped him from throwing her out. Can I tell you, sometimes when you're so full, folk don't understand what you're praying about. They don't understand how it looks when somebody show enough is praying. The disciples didn't understand what prayer was about, even when Jesus was about to walk to the cross. They didn't have enough patience. It's amazing to me, y'all, that when it ain't your prayer, it don't seem like sometimes it's your care. I came to tell you today, when life hits you real hard in some areas, you'll learn how to communicate with the Lord in such a way that nobody but you and him talking. And it don't matter what nobody looking at you says. It doesn't matter what they say or anything. You just stay on your face before the Lord. And just like in this situation with Hannah, the Lord hears us. I said, he see, we see you. Surely if we see you, he sees you. And what he's looking for is your faithfulness. And when he sees your faithfulness, the Bible says she got to a place. I think, I think if I'm straight with this, Karen, if I'm reading this right, that when she went to the temple that day and she uttered that prayer and told God, I'll do this, she was desperate. She was desperate. She said, I thought of everything I could think of, Lord, but I tell you what. I want a baby so bad. I'm so tired of Penina and all her, not just her, but her handmaids looking at me and folk in the neighborhood talking about me and everybody thinking I'm sinning and something wrong with me. And I'm so tired of that. I'll do just about anything for a baby. And so I tell you what, Lord, if you just let me have a baby, if you just let me have it, just let me get pregnant and have a baby, when the baby is born and able, I'll bring him back to you. Now, now, that's counterintuitive on motherhood. Who wants to give their baby up that they've had, that they've been praying for, that they've been begging the Lord for? It's counterintuitive to say, I'm going, if you give him to me, I'm going to give him back to you. But the Bible says clearly that the Lord heard her prayer and saw her sincerity, and she got pregnant after all these years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the whispers in the household when they found out she was pregnant? I guarantee you they still didn't give her no credit. I guarantee they still didn't make it any easier for her when she went through her term of pregnancy. And I guarantee you they thought she was out of her mind if she whispered to any of them what she planned to do with the baby. But the fact of the matter is Hannah got pregnant. The fact of the matter is Hannah bore a child. And the Bible says clearly that when that child whose name was, whose name is Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. There's no accident on why she named her baby Samuel. Samuel means heard of God. All right? In other words, God heard me. And so she named her baby such that every time she called his name, 
she would be reminded that the grace of God fell on her with that baby. Every time she says Samuel, she's saying, Hannah, God heard you. Names meant something then. I don't know what Daniel mean, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it means something good, though. I just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible says that when he was old enough to be weaned, to be weaned, for y'all who don't know what that means, that means when the baby didn't need the bottle anymore, didn't need, didn't need his mother's to suckle anymore. In other words, he could eat table food. Which means, at that time, I'm assuming he could also feed himself. The Bible says she put a little package together with his clothes in it. And she went to the temple. And she went to the chief priest, Eli. And she left her baby at the temple. You know why? Because God hurt her. And because when God keeps his promise, he expects us Keep our promise too, no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is. And when she left her baby at the temple, the blessing was sealed, not just for her, but for Samuel. Because Samuel, Hannah's baby, became one of the most significant men in the Bible. There are two books in the Bible named after Hannah's baby. There are two books in the Bible. Not only was he a prophet, he was also a judge. We're studying judges now uh, in a series that I interrupted today for this message. One of them we're going to get to is this man named Samuel. He was so significant because God's favor was all over him before he was born. Before he was born. Why did this happen? Well, one part I didn't tell you earlier, why was Hannah in this space? The Bible says clearly that Hannah, Hannah's womb was closed by God. Yeah. It was not accidental. It was providential. It was intentional on the part of God so that God could get the glory when he brought the blessing back through her. She was faithful enough to turn to God in her time of trouble. There are some things you're going through in your life right now who you're blaming other people on, who you've mistakenly blamed the devil on. And the truth of the matter is, God has allowed the circumstance in your space because God needs you closer to him in your relationship. When I say me, he wants you to get closer. It's not to push you away from him. It's to bring you closer to him in a way that you don't know. You might be close to him now, but you'll get to know him in a better way. You'll get to know him in a different way than you know him right now. You may be doing everything you think God wants you to do, but the door hasn't opened yet because there's another level of relationship 
that God wants to have with you. And Hannah opened that door. Watch what I said. Hannah was not a faithless woman. She was a faithful woman. She just couldn't have a baby. Which means she went to prayer meeting. She went to temple. She did everything believers do on a regular basis. She was faithful through it all. But when she uttered that prayer, she got to know God in a whole different way. That's ahead of you. The Lord wants to know you deeply. He wants to know you intimately. But you got to take your hand off some situations that you're still trying to guide yourself. He wants to bless you in that way. Hannah became a mother, but she was already a real woman. Now, every woman ain't a mother, all right? And every mother ain't a good woman. Somebody ought to know what I'm talking about. There's some bad children running around here because they had some bad mamas mothering them, all right? We don't tell the truth. Yeah, they don't set good examples for their children. They show them the wrong way of life. And the children pull that in and they become less than they could have been. Yeah, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. You better make sure that whoever's rocking the cradle knows who made the world. Because when you do not know that, when they're not good examples, it simply follows suit that the children are going to struggle. I don't know how you can spend 18 years pouring in this, pouring in stuff that's not good. Pouring in jealousy and envy. Pouring in all the kind of things that nobody should want in their children's lives. And then think that, ding, just because they become adults, they automatically turn into good little creatures. No, 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 so you've been baking this cake for 18 years. Don't be surprised when it's a fruit cake. <laughs> When the baby was born, when Samuel was born, according to Jewish law, Hannah would have taken him to the priest a month after he was born. There's a ceremony they did then, and they still do today. It's called a redemption ceremony. I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's a redemption ceremony. When the firstborn child for the Israelites comes, by law, in the Bible, the firstborn belongs to God. By law. This is what scripture says. Exodus chapter 13, as they were coming out of Egypt prior to the Passover, the Lord said this in chapter 13. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb, 
every wound, not just human, everything that has a wound, the firstborn of that wound belongs to me. Whether man or animal. And so when a firstborn child comes along, the child would have automatically belonged to the Lord. I want you to see how wonderful this is. Walk with me on this, that Hannah did, all right? The firstborn child belongs to the Lord, and the husband, Elkanah, ordinarily would have redeemed that child from the Lord. There's a ceremony they go through, all right? Numbers chapter 18, verse 16, reads this way. When your son is a month old, you must redeem him at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver. Yeah, that was actually an amount that the parent took to the priest for a redemption and bought the child back from the Lord. It was a ceremony. A ceremony. Yeah, and... And so that would have happened with Samuel. That would have happened. His mother, Hannah, and his father, Elkanah. Well, Elkanah would have gone into the priest. She couldn't have really gone into that place. And when he went in, the father brings a cup, and the cup contains several pieces of co several coins, gold and silver. And the priest then takes the child into his arm. I'm sorry, mommy is there takes the child into his arm, and then they go through this ceremony, and the, the priest says, is this thy son? And mama would say yes. And the priest would say, have you ever had another child, male or female, or a miscarriage, or an untimely birth? In other words, is this the first child out of your womb? And the mother would say, no, this is the first child. And that being the case, then this child, as the firstborn, the priest would say, belongs to me. Belongs to me. Then the priest would turn to the father, and he would say, if it be your desire to have this child, you must redeem it. And that's when the father said, I present to you this gold and silver for that purpose. And then the priest says, thou dost wish, therefore, to redeem the child? And the father would say, I do. And then the priest would take the gold and silver or silver and then present the child back to mom and dad. So that which you have given to God, watch this, God gives to you at the redemption price. Now watch what happens here. Because I don't think you understand the magnitude of what Hannah did. So Hannah, who prayed for this child, had bought the baby back from the Lord. The Lord had given Samuel back at the price that God set for them to get back. Then Hannah, who bought her baby back from the Lord, went and gave the baby she bought back to the Lord. She had cleared the air. From a rabbinical standpoint, there was nothing that the priest could have done, but she didn't make her, uh, her agreement with the priest. She made her, her agreement with the Lord. 
And when you make an agreement with the Lord, you keep your agreement with the Lord. There's nothing Eli could have done to make her bring Samuel back to the temple. And yes, she brought him and gave her baby back. And I love this about the story, if you watch it, because you know she had to be. It was a man in the temple. Now, there would have been some women working around in there, too. But how you bring it, take your little boy, how you take your baby and leave him at the temple and walk away. He used to you now. He probably was calling for his mama. Mama, come back, you know, I'm sure. And she left him. And the Bible said every year when they went up to pay their, their, their vows, Hannah would take a package with newly she clothes she had been making all year for her baby. And she would bring him a package of clothes every year as he was growing. And she also got the chance to know her baby. And I'm sure when she sat there with her baby, can you imagine she came up there and he would come, he remember, he'd come, mama, and he'd hug her and he said, now you doing okay? You doing what the priest tells you to do? Are you learning like you're supposed to? But I want you to remember now, I'm your mama. Yeah, I'm your mama. Your mama's name is Hannah. Your daddy's name is Elkanah. She teaching him. Not only that, watch this, because Hannah was so good, and keeping her faithfulness to the Lord. The Lord blessed her womb and gave her three most children. So when the door opened, it opened wide. And the Lord started blessing her household such that Penina couldn't say nothing else because she was fruitful. Why? Because God showed favor on her. And so she said, now I want you to remember, you got a brother, a brother named Dewan, and you got a brother, you got a sister named Sham, and they at the house, she teaching her baby. And so Samuel realized, even though I'm in the temple, I still got a family out there. And somebody cares about me. That's what mamas, that's what mamas do. They take care of you. She didn't redeem her baby back from the Lord when she gave him to her. She, how many of us have the courage when God gives us something to give it back to him and say, it's better in your hands, Lord. You can do more with him in your hand than I can do with him in my hand. How many of us are, are courageous enough to make that acknowledgement that I'll do good, but you'll do great, Lord? Yeah. I'll do my best, but my best don't meet your best, Lord. And give him, give him back to him. And the Bible blessed her. Three more sons and two more daughters. So in all, she has six children. Six children, including Samuel. And now all of them could walk around talking about our brother named Samuel. Yeah, yeah, which was different than Jesus' brothers and sisters because they were embarrassed by Jesus. Yeah, Samuel was a great man. God condemns the sin of a nation, but knowing that they would be a sinful nation, he had already prepared for a leader through Hannah's womb. I, I want you to hear what I'm saying now. God knows what America is. But who knew that he would allow a South African man to meet a girl from Kansas? 
and put a baby in her womb that they would name Barak. God knew that. Y'all act like this stuff just happens, that he just showed up on the south side of Chicago one day. No, no, no. God walked his pathway from, from Hawaii back to America to the White House. God planned all this. And so when I see the foolishness that people walk around talking about they're going to be the next Barack, you starting too late. Yeah, you got to start at the womb. And that's when God makes people into what he wants them to be. And all he wants us to do is fall in line and be faithful. And when we do that, God will bless us. All of this happened, y'all, because Hannah was a godly woman. And she could say throughout her life, I pray for this child. Guess what, y'all? Somebody pray for you. Somebody pray for you. Yeah, somebody pray for you. I, I, and I pray that you're living up to the prayers that were given for you because a godly mother believes in the power of prayer. A, a godly mother understands the power of prayer. And so sometimes let your children see you praying so hard that they think you're drunk, even though ain't no liquor in the house. Yeah, let them see you involved in prayer that much. And don't let it be just because somebody's sick. Let it be because it's Tuesday and I ain't talked to you today, Lord. And I, I need to come in and thank you for everything that's happened since the last time we got together. Let your child see you in prayer like that sometime so they understand that kind of relationship. Not only that, a godly mama gives her children to God. That's what a godly mama does. And God will do what God does. And we can't even put an equation on that, Rick. We can't. I, I know that people think that there are some things about life and birth that they shouldn't be talking about. But I think you ought to tell your children when they're able to digest it what you went through for them to be here. All we do is give them marshmallows and whipped cream. We give them that. We, we always spend life giving them happy. And ain't nothing wrong with that, but they need to understand that they got to eat some peas sometime too. And life gives you peas and beans and, and, and sometimes the grave is burnt. They need to know that everything's not always good because when you're no longer around, they won't know how to deal with the circumstances that come when they burn the grave of themselves, and they will. They won't understand when they don't have enough money to buy whipped cream and bubble gum, and all they can afford to buy is pork and beans. They don't understand that until you show them that that's what life is all about. At some point, Brittany's going to have to tell George Solomon about them 30 days she spent at University Hospital before he was born. She's going to have to tell him what she went through emotionally, how it still frames her life today because she felt like she was almost imprisoned in a hospital just to have a healthy baby. 
when you go through something. Tell somebody what you go through. Don't make it no secret. All right, because that only deepens their appreciation for what you've done. A godly mama wants what God wants for her children. I know we all got these plans for our children. I know. And ain't nothing wrong with that. Lord knows. Ain't nothing wrong with it. And I say that a parent's job is to give their children the best options in life they can give them, up to that child's ability. But I'll also tell you this. Don't make your list different from God's list and expect that God going to bless everything you want to do. Well, why would he? Why would he? If your list doesn't include giving God glory at any point, you probably need to scratch that out and start over again. And you also need to make sure the child knows that even though they might have success after success in life, there's a blessing that has to come to kingdom and to other folk from what they do. God didn't just put kids here so that they could be fabulous. That, that's not, and, and that's, my, that's the problem I have right now. Every child wants to be seen. They want to be fabulous. They want to be rich, and they want to be famous. But the problem is, so does everybody else. And so who gets to choose who wins? But you can be kind. You can be loving. You can be supportive. You can be courageous. You can do all those things. You might not get a whole lot of attention, but you'll live a solid and peaceful life behind that. And just by chance, your list coincide, bumps into what God wants for you, then all the rest of that stuff may come as well. But when you just set out, why do you think kids get to 20, 21 years old and then emotionally fall off the cliff? Because at that point in time, mama and daddy's decision-making for them is gone. And they got to make choices for themselves, and they realize this is hard. And it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And I got a degree, but I ain't got no job. And I got a degree, but I'm, I'm not the boss. And I got a degree, but I'm still, you know, I'm not famous. They don't understand the worth of what they're getting because we have pulled it up so high. Let's make it practical. It wasn't sexy for Hannah to drop her baby off at the temple. Nobody in their right mind would want to work at the temple every day, all day. So we think temple means Sunday. No, temple is work uh, every day up to Sabbath. That's what temple work is. And that's what Samuel had to learn when he was at the temple. You know, how to clean up candle wax. Oh, that's what you got. How to clean up after the sacrifices. This, this is what he had to learn. He had to learn how to serve people. And he first had to learn how to serve the priests. Guess what? You'll do well if you teach your children how to serve at the house. If they learn how to serve at the house, grumbling or not, then they won't have so much problem serving when they get out on their own. And dealing with folk. And then the last thing is this. A godly mama will always keep her word to the Lord. And to other folk. Don't make a 
Don't make a habit of breaking promises from the Lord. And expect him to take care of you in the end. Because if you make a habit of breaking promises, then why would you expect him to keep his? If you've ever made one to him. There's a story told of a little guy who was at his mama's house one day. He was in preschool. And his mama was working around the house. And it seemed for some reason that day, Karen, that every time she stepped, he was in her way. And she couldn't get any work done that day. And she was doing the normal chores around the house. But every time she moved around, it seemed like he was in her way. And she moved him. And then after about a half a day of that, she frustrated. She's like, what, what, what are you doing? Why are you behind me like this? And he laughed. And he laughed at her. And he, he said, Mama, he said, the teacher told us that we need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But I don't know what Jesus is. So I'm going to follow in your footsteps because you're the closest thing I know to what Jesus does. And I came to tell you today, you are their example for what a believer does. And they ought to be able to follow in your footsteps. They ought to be able to know what it is to be good and decent from watching mama be good and decent. You ought to be the one to tell them the first story of the baby in the manger. That's your job. That ain't Sunday school job. That's your job. By the time they reach Sunday school at church, that ought to be a story they already know. And then you ought to be the one who tells them about the cross. Because that's a story that's so hard. It takes a mama massaging that to let them know that he went to the cross. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that he's alive today. And you know every child loves that. He was gone. But now he's back. And guess what? He came back. Look, mama can tell you this. Who, would believe, who wouldn't believe it? Mama can say, and guess who he came back for? He came back for you. He came back to get you so that when he goes again, he can take you with him. That's a story that a mama can tell. And so I came today to tell you the baby you prayed for, don't stop praying for them. When they're taller than you, don't stop praying for them. When they're married and walking down the aisle with somebody else, don't stop praying for them. When they have their own babies pulling on their skirt tails or coattails, don't stop praying for them. When they're behind the wheelchair that you're sitting in, don't stop praying for them. The Lord will keep on blessing them so that they know when you're no longer around that the same God that you depended on, they can depend on that God too. That's what a mother does. Don't stop praying for your child. Somebody today is going to give their life to the Lord if you haven't already. 
The opportunity is here for you to make sure that you can be with mama forever in glory with Jesus. And if you've never acknowledged that he is your savior, then today is the day. I invite you to come. Be a part of the fellowship of the unashamed, the household of believers. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus right now. He died for you and he lives for you. Whosoever will, let him come right now. The doors of our church have been extended and opened just for you. Come on now.